Hi, this is Amanda. Welcome to this edition of The Very Curious Herbal. This week, we've skipped on a couple of plates to the wild rose. I found it fascinating when I was looking through Elizabeth Blackwell's book in the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons, quite how many pages were dedicated to roses. She picks out different ones and lists ever so slightly different recommendations with each different variety. Something that we often don't do these days. We lump roses together somewhat. The wild rose, well, I suspect it has a story of its own. But something's changed this week. This week, the wind set in. The first tiptoe of autumn trod a pathway across the landscape. And so I decided to work with a story about roses that I've um, looked at several times in several different ways. It's a story... My mum told me, my mum heard it from Mary Medlicott, who um, is a wonderful storyteller, who was my mum's mentor when my mum first started telling stories nearly 30 years ago. Uh, And I tell it slightly differently. The essence of the story is there, but a bit like the rose, each retelling has different aspects, ever so slightly different twists. And... I decided to tell the roses story now and choose to tell you uh, my version of this beautiful story, um, which I call Hippins, um, because because it happens at this exact point of the year. So I was waiting to release this episode for that day when the change is almost visceral in the air. The the smells have changed. The wind sounds a different note. The petals are softly tumbling to the floor and the rose hips are starting to ripen. It's that transitional point, the liminal space between flower and hip that means that this is the right story for this point in time. Once upon a time, not so very long ago, when all the big estates and all the big houses round about had gardeners and housekeepers, stable boys and chambermaids, every gatehouse and gardener's cottage had a neat front garden bedecked with geraniums, rows of golden marigolds and towers of scented sweet peas. In those days there lived a laird, And just as all landowners nearby did, this laird had a gardener and plenty of other staff aside. Each married couple had a cottage of their own in the grounds and each stable boy and chambermaid had a a neat little room until the day came when they would marry and gravitate to a cottage. The laird was a kind-hearted old man. He thought of his employees as his friends, people who he cared for and worked alongside to keep the beautiful old house 
and glorious gardens vibrant and alive. His agreement with his tenants had always been that he was happy for them to have a share of anything that grew in the grounds. So every house had a ready supply of fruit and veg and bunches of fresh flowers in the window. The estate children gathered hippins, the rose hips, for threepence a pound, weighing them in with the gardener's wife who set to making syrup to sell to the villagers in area to ward off the winter colds for young and old as the summer turned to autumn. The traveller families pulled up for the berry-picking and the tatty-howking as the seasons dictated. With so much to share and go round, the travellers were made welcome. They brought stories and songs and a change of pace with the change of the seasons and news from farther afield. The laird also knew that the better he treated his workers, the better they wanted to treat him. So the estate thrived and there was never a shortage of good things growing or hands to harvest them. Now amongst all these happy people coming and going and all the plants thriving and growing, there was one couple who even in this magical place shone out as happier than most. The head gardener and his beautiful wife loved the place. They found beauty in every rock and tree. They loved the land and everyone loved them. But sometimes beauty upsets people. Sometimes happiness makes folk covetous. They imagine maybe that happiness is in short supply and what someone else is using they can't have. What's more, the gardener's wife had caught the eye of the laird's nephew. The man set to inherit the estate when the laird passed on She'd caught his eye and that made him angry. Angry that she wouldn't marry him. Angry that she didn't want to cast her husband over for a life of luxury in a big house. Angry that she valued her own happy, busy life more than his golden carriages, a big house, leisure, luxury and fancy holidays. The laird felt the gardener was foolish. Every hour he wasn't working, he would spend in his rose garden tending cultivars and wild roses alike. There were beautiful roses and all kinds of hues that the gardener had grafted and tended, but in amongst them, as treasured as the cultivated plants, were briar roses, dog roses, tangles and reeds, white in every colour of blush and crimson. Every day, the gardener would take his beautiful wife, a red, a pink, a white or a yellow, a rose from the garden. And although she loved all the flowers her husband brought her, the one she treasured most of all was the beautiful wild rose, the briar rose. It's deep pink petals heart-shaped and velvet-soft. She watched and smiled even as the petals tumbled to the floor, watching the hips ripen. She would let the children in the estate come and gather the hips for the syrup, and she would show them how she could peel back the soft flesh and the hairs inside. She would tease them and show them how to make itching powder. 
how to take the seeds out and pop them into pots to see if they would become plants in their own right. She loved those wild roses. And the more he watched her enjoying the garden, the more the Laird's nephew came to sneer at her, his sneering disguised his jealous heart because underneath it all he wanted her for his own. The years rolled by. The estate was well tended and well loved. The tenants and visitors, new and old, spoke well of the laird and worked together for the good of everyone. But nothing lasts forever. And the time came when the laird, now over a hundred years and more, grew frail and died and his mean-spirited nephew took his place as gentleman of the estate. The old man had never seen his nephew's dark side. So keen was the old man to see the good in folk. But now, without his uncle's steadying hand and benevolent instincts, the new laird set about rewriting the estate rules. The extra fruit and vegetables that grew while his uncle had been a fool. Why give them away when you could sell them for a profit at market? He didn't see what his uncle had, but the share of the estates produced food. It helped ensure a happy, hard-working community that brought about more profit than selling fruit and veg ever could. The new laird watched as the tenants still picked the flowers and saw how they decorated their cottage. What was this worthless decoration? Flowers surely could be sold too and if they didn't sell and the ground could be dug up and used instead to grow more cash crops, fruit, veg, oats, barley. He watched the children foraging for nuts and berries in the autumn, chestnuts from the trees in the castle grounds, brambles for jellies. Hippins from dog roses and the ones in the garden too. And he saw untapped resources. Another thing he could sell for money. And he banned them from picking. Told them the berries were poisonous. They risked their lives and paid them half what the gardener's wife had done for the hippins. And sold them to a factory in a far off town to make syrup to sell in the shops in the cities. No recipes regarded. No sweet syrup to soothe away a sore throat as the autumn wind howled. He banned his tenants from picking so much as a single flower from his garden. Every day he kept watch, walking the grounds, the shadow that was his heart hidden behind walls as he spied on his tenants to ensure that they didn't break his new rules. As night fell, this evil-hearted, unpleasant man took to the castle cellars where he studied the dark arts. He read books, no kind soul should ever open. He toyed with recipes too sickly to touch. He conjured and developed evil controlling plans. His intent 
was not good. He made more and more overtures to the gardener's wife, taking special care to watch that the gardener did not bring the woman a rose. But somehow the gardener found a way. He would go into the garden and pick a flower and eventually the day came when the laird spotted him and gave him a warning. If he picked so much as another flower, he would be sacked. The gardener's wife, still turning away, rebuffing the new laird, <sighs> grew sickly and sad and she missed the children laughing and playing and bringing her berries to make up jams and hippins for syrup. She kept herself to herself and the gardener grew sadder and sadder and felt it was his fault because he could no longer bring his wife the beautiful roses that made her happy. The laird experimented with more and more ways to make the woman his own. Eventually, he went round to the gardener's house. One last chance to leave her husband and step away with him, he gave the woman. And she cried and wept and refused to leave the man she loved. The laird went back to his castle. A man under the darkest of clouds. Evil now. Intent. Strong. He was possessed by a jealous fury. The sort of jealous fury that makes people do the most unpleasant of things. The gardener came home to discover his poor wife even more sickly, now sobbing. So worried was she for her husband's safety with the laird so angry and... The poor gardener did not know what to do. He went out to his garden and, not seeing anyone around, went and picked his wife. A briar rose. He brought it inside and handed her the flower. She looked at her husband, her eyes terrified because she knew what this action could cause. But so touched by a sign of devotion. Sure enough, the laird had seen the gardener's action. He saw the fresh-cut stump where the rose had been plucked. And if you flew into a rage, he went round and told the gardener that he either gave him his wife as payment for the flower he had picked, or he would take her away from him himself. The gardener spared the man and started to make up plans to leave the estate, leave the life he loved. That night, the laird worked his dark enchantments. In the morning, when he went round, the gardener's wife had gone. The enchantment had taken place, and he told the man that his wife had been transformed into a rose. The gardener was beside himself. He went round looking at every flower, every one as carefully as he could, trying to see which one 
hadn't grown there before, but the morning had brought a new flourish of flowers and he couldn't differentiate her from the other beautiful blooms that had burst from buds the night before. He waited and paced the garden all day long, watching, hoping, and as the sun set, he was rewarded as his wife stepped out from behind a part of the rose garden, right at the very back. She didn't see from where she'd appeared, but as the sun had set, she'd been transformed back into a woman for a few short hours. They spent the night talking and holding each other, but as the sun started to rise in the morning, she vanished from sight and became a rose once more. The weeks rolled by, and every night the gardener and his wife talked and tried to find a way, a way for the man to rescue her from this evil enchantment. The time drew on, and as the cold autumn winds started to rip the petals from the flowers, the gardener knew he didn't have long. Any day now, the rose petals would fall. His wife would become a rose hip. She would be gathered up and sent off with all the other rose hips. There was only one thing for it. He had to rescue her as soon as possible. But there was only one thing, one thing they could think of. Of all the questions they'd asked, all the wise old folk in the village, they'd asked questions of anyone who could add any insight into how to wheel back the magic that had been wrought. The only thing they could think of was for the gardener to pluck the rose the very minute that dawn broke, when she turned back into a rose from a woman, he would have to choose a rose and pick it. If he didn't get it right first time, the chance would vanish, the petals would fall away, and autumn would take her from him forever. The gardener thought long and hard, and came up with a plan. That night as his wife left his embrace once more, and the sun started to rise, she transformed back into a flower, he reached out and picked her. And she was restored to him, a beautiful woman once more. I've heard tell that this time when the laird fell into one of his legendary rages, it was all a little much for his heart and he was lost forever. But um, I've also heard whispers that the gardener and his wife quickly made the way to another part of the land and were never seen again. But whichever version is true, I do know that with the warm-hearted essence of rose painted forever on their souls, they will have lived happily ever after. Tannin rich, 
heart healing goes full of love would have made sure that they did. Now, you may be wondering at this moment, or at least I hope you are, because this is one of those stories that has a riddle. Um, how did the gardener know which rose to pick? Of all the hundreds, well, the hundreds, maybe thousands in his garden, long twisting paths filled with every shade of beautiful rose, how did he know which one to pluck? People always offer some beautiful suggestions. And so I'd love to hear what you think and how you think he could tell which one, which rose was his wife. Um, I know, I'm sure some of you will have maybe heard this, me tell the story before or heard it here Mary or my mum share it. And my mum's also likely to listen in, so shh, mum, no giving the secret away. Um, but for the rest of you who, who don't know the story and don't know the answer to the riddle, do get in touch. Uh, join me in the Facebook group Botanica Fabulousness where I add in recipes and insights into the plants that I'm working with for each episode. And, and share what you think the answer to the riddle might be. I'd love to hear it. Maybe, uh, like me, you've, um, you're, the roses near you have gone to the, the hip stage already. Rose hips are, are best gathered for syrup in the early stages of their ripeness. I don't ever let that put me off. I gather them all through the season. And you can make rose hip syrup with any of the rose family, pretty much, as long as they've not been sprayed. Um, maybe you've made a delicious bowl of the of the early recipe for ice cream that I also shared um, in the in the Facebook uh, part of the project. Um, if you have, maybe you could save a bowl of ice cream and go for a whole rose experience. Make up some rosy syrup and dribble it over the ice cream. Take a spoonful, listen to the story again, and let the love and inf love and strength of Rose add to the tale. And I'll see you all next week. Thank you very much for listening.